0: It does help listening to other people, being able to open up and hear their stories. It's comforting and it's knowing that there's others out there.
1: better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, we are talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. I want to thank all of our suicide attempt survivors who have joined me here on this podcast and to everybody out there who listens. I really appreciate it. And I've got another podcast. It's called Grit True Stories That Matter. It's part of a larger storytelling organization, and we will soon be launching a project in which we are helping survivors of suicide craft and tell their stories. I will put a link in the show notes if you are curious about that and would like to learn more. Today, I am talking with Michelle. Michelle lives in Missouri, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Michelle, how you doing? It's nice to meet you. You too. I know that you're Michelle. I know that you're in Missouri. Yes. First of all, thank you, of course.
0: Oh, no, thank you, because I really (laughs) don't have anyone to talk. I don't really talk to anyone about this, so this is something new for me as well.
1: It's... Weird, in a way that people don't seem to have people often to talk about it.
0: It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, I think, for people to they get silent and they get uncomfortable and they don't know how to react to it, really. Their reaction is just kind of it can be jarring when somebody says something like that to another person, I think. And I grew up in Irish Catholic family, a lot of drinkers tons of mental issues that were swept under the rug that nobody really talked about. I, when I was younger, had two, I guess they're distant cousins. I, I didn't really know them because I was a lot, lot younger, like grade school years who had one had attempted and it didn't work and then attempted again and it did. And another one, it committed suicide. And then the most recent one was um, just my cousin back in November of 2019. And that's, probably where it's triggered me the worst. I, I That was my trigger, I think. And I think my family knew it. Basically what all st- when it all started was I was in junior high, my parents out of the blue decided to get a divorce. Well, I, I don't know how out of the blue, it was out of the blue to me and my sister. I have one sister. They asked us to go upstairs and Uh, They had something to talk to us about and we thought that they were going to have another baby. That's what's, I was such a surprise when we came down and my father said that he was leaving and he felt like he was missing something and, and I was a daddy's little girl. So I played a lot of sports. I think that helps a lot with mental illness as well, but it's almost like it's an addiction too, because I lived and breathed basketball and got in select teams and had a great beginning of a future with it. But then once the divorce hit, I started hanging out with a rougher crowd and I OD'd on alcohol going into seventh grade, uh, was hospitalized. They thought, and that wasn't on purpose. It was on accident. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I was drinking with a friend and we just kept drinking and drinking. And, um, once they, uh, I guess once so the divorce was final, we moved out of my childhood home, and I started going to public school. That was a complete change for me as well. I, I grew up in St. Louis and in the county area. Once I got into a uh, regular school, public school, it was seventh grade, and um, I realized how sheltered I was. I guess in Catholic school, we didn't have black people in our Catholic school. I didn't interact with black people or any other ethnicity of people. It was all all white, and so. I thought, you know, that was something new. And I was a little bit bullied when I first started. Um, And I was used to being kind of the popular one. I slowly started hanging out with um, like the wrong crowd, I guess you could say, and kind of got back into basketball, but not fully. My father was still around, but not the same as he was obviously growing up. Things change. It was a big change. And I know a lot of parents, you know, kids have parents that get divorced and but by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was downing fifths of Jack Daniels and vodka and drinking, and I had tried cocaine and smoking weed, just anything to numb, I guess, the pain that I was feeling. My mother was in pretty much a depression mode, so she really wasn't around. She was living basically in her bedroom. She was just, wow. she was distraught. She wasn't, and I don't blame her because that was something that, I mean. I know she loved my father. I know she probably still loves my father dearly. So then my freshman year in high school, they decided I needed treatment. So my first day of freshman year, they let me walk in and then came around lunchtime, picked me up and I went to treatment. So that was my memory of freshman year in high school. I never really had suicide thoughts. I was self-harming, doing some cutting here and there, kind of like wanting to like slip my wrist, but not really, really. I was just cutting, basically. I felt like I guess it was for attention, but there really wasn't anyone to give me attention because my parents weren't really very involved. So I got back into school. As soon as I got back into high school, I was kind of treated a little bit differently because there were friends that I'd grown up with and they lived in the neighborhood and they kind of looked at me differently. And so then I decided to run away with a girl that was a friend of mine in in junior high. And that was my first sexual experience, which I was raped.
1: How old were you?
0: 15 years old then, 15 years old.
1: So just to be clear, it sounds like your mother was dealing with a mental illness.
0: Yeah. And she was not
1: available. All right. Right. Went from having a fairly, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong here, but like a a sort of normal-ish young childhood.
0: Mm -hmm. Correct.
1: to, To things changing rather quickly. You started getting into some trouble,
0: right? Correct. And you're
1: self-medicating,
0: right? Correct.
1: Whatever you could do, like we do, whatever we do to cope and deal. You are 15 years old. You've been assaulted.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And nobody knew. I didn't tell anyone It was at a party and nobody knew. And it was about a month I was gone. And I remember my father telling me that he would sit up at the, he knew where I was he would sit up at the top of the street and he actually went to the house of her. You know, I was living in her basement and her, her father lived upstairs, and her father didn't know I was living there. She was basically sneaking me. And then once he found out that I was there, I had to just start staying at, they were basically guy friends' houses. After I was sexually assaulted, I was pretty sexually active. After that, I just, I think that goes along a lot with, I don't know if I'm bipolar. I don't know. I mean, I was diagnosed so long ago when I was a teenager with manic depression and anxiety. I don't know. I think I might be bipolar. I've gone to a psychiatrist. I've been put on meds. Um, I've tried therapy. I make it to the third session at the most. And then I stop because it's so hard. It's just, I feel exhausted after I go. I I know it makes me feel better in the long run, but it's, just, it's not a weight that comes up off of my shoulders. It's more of just bringing it all back in. So then, yeah. So once I was had nowhere else to go, I went home. We would moved out of my childhood home. We're, we're living in a two-bedroom apartment, me and my mom and my sister. My sister was pregnant at the time. She was 19. I was treated basically with kid gloves. My mom had finally started dating somebody. I was on Prozac and something else. I don't know. I think it was something to help me sleep. One night I was home alone. My mom had gone out to dinner with her boyfriend. I don't know where my sister was. There were some guy friends that came over and I basically was assaulted again by one of the guys. And then once they left, I just feel like I was in a fog. And I walked into my kitchen, grabbed both my full bottles of pills and just downed them. I don't even know if I wrote suicide letters. I think I did, but I... I haven't been able to talk to my mom about it because I'm afraid it's going to just upset her too much. And I don't really know how to talk to her or anyone really about any of it that like it affected my family so much that I don't know how to find out those like I want to learn about those details. Like I've even mentioned, I want to go back in time. I want to go back to the hospital and get my hospital records just to see. So I I downed the pills and and I do know that my mother said she was at dinner with her boyfriend at the time and she had a feeling that she had to come home. So she came home and um, she could hear me breathing funny in the other room. Um, And she came into the other room and I was completely unconscious. She said she called the, she called the police, you know, the ambulance, whatever. And they said that, you know, there wasn't time they had, if they could get me in the car to get me to the emergency room uh, right away, I kind of remember maybe fighting or maybe they told me I was fighting. It was a boyfriend. He was like trying to, you know, keep me contained or whatever. And I guess I was fighting. Um, I do remember When we got to the hospital, I feel like I was almost dying. Like I could see above, like I could see the stretcher and I could see me getting put on the stretcher and going into the ICU. I, my stomach was pumped a few times. They said the only thing that saved me was it was an upper and a downer basically. So um, if I had just taken one of it, one or the other, whatever, it would have, it probably would have been a lot worse outcome. After that attempt, I was in intensive care. I don't know how long, a few days, maybe. The only thing I remember about that was waking up and having my grandparents above me and me being so angry that I was alive. I was so mad and they just looked at me and I remember them saying, she looks demonic Mm. because I must've just been completely, I don't know, like just that angry. I was pissed. And then the next thing I remember, I was in another treatment center and I was there for 30 days. Um, And then finally the insurance ran up and they brought me into a room with my mom, my dad. They said, you have a choice. You can either go to the city hospital because I was basically defiant and not really participating in a lot of the therapy and stuff. And um, stubborn, or you could go live with your father. And I said, I want to go to the city hospital. (laughs) I was scared to death of my dad. He was, he was a very, he coached me in basketball. He's a very disciplinary father. And my mother I knew was a lot less. She was very lenient. She'd let me get away with anything. Mm -hmm. So of course they didn't, they're like, no, you're coming home with your father. So they got me back into Catholic school, started playing basketball again, and I was doing great. I was playing back into sports. You know, I was partying a little bit, some healthy boyfriends, healthy relationships. I had a long-term relationship my senior year. After my senior year, we're still together. My long-term boyfriend that I had, I got pregnant and I ended up having an abortion. After that, I kind of, we broke up. I kind of went into another out of, out of control rage. Uh, I started doing heavier drugs, was doing a lot of cocaine. I guess they call it Molly now, but it was ecstasy then. Doing a lot of going to a lot of clubs. It was a lot of fun. But living downtown in Soulard, which is a hip area, I kind of just partied myself into a hole and hit rock bottom and really had nowhere else to go. I lost my job. I was getting ready to lose my apartment. I tried college. I played basketball my freshman year. I just couldn't, I hated school.
1: You got an office job. At this point, how many times did you attempt suicide?
0: That was, I've only had one major. That was my one major at, um, it was 16 years old.
1: You've had the one attempt. Is there a second attempt? Yes. Okay. When does that happen?
0: That happened um, when I was 23 years old.
1: You had the attempt at 16. And I think you did a really good job of painting the sort of picture as best you can of your life. And it just sounded difficult. And I, it's also yeah. sound like you went through some darker times, then it got a little better and it was up and down. Mm-hmm. You're in your early twenties, you're partying. Is that right? Is that the right age? Early twenties? Right.
0: Yeah. Early twenties.
1: And you've lost your job.
0: Mm-hmm. I felt I hit rock bottom. I was yeah. getting ready to lose my apartment. I went across the street and called my aunt, who, where mm-hmm. my mother lived, um, asked to speak to my mother. And my aunt said um, she was busy. And so that was basically a big, you know, denial, rejection, because mm-hmm. I didn't even have a phone. So then I went back into my apartment, and I downed a huge bottle of Aleve and woke up a couple of days later, again, was pissed that I was alive.
1: <laughs> right. So both times you tried, you tried it with pills.
0: Right, pills, right.
1: Both times you tried, you were pissed when you woke up.
0: Mm-hmm. The yeah.
1: first time it sounded like you went to some kind of treatment. Uh huh. So when you when you passed out, were you home?
0: Yeah, I was in my apartment.
1: Did you live alone? Yes,
0: I lived alone. Mm -hmm.
1: So when you woke up, was did somebody find you? Did somebody call you? No, nobody
0: knew. Nobody knew. I just woke up and nobody knew.
1: Did you get sick?
0: I don't remember. I don't think I did. No, I was doing a lot of drugs back then. But no, I was I just woke up and I was pissed. I was like, well, I didn't have any other anything else to take. So yeah. So after that, I knew I had to get my mom. So I, I moved into a friend's house because I knew I was losing the apartment. And I finally got a hold of my mom.
1: Okay. Why did you want to talk to your mom?
0: Because my mom has always really been there for me. She's still there for me now. And she's always been um, my rock, basically. I mean, I have probably put her through a lot of hell, but um, I don't know. I just, she's always accepted me no matter what. Me and my father really have no relationship now, but um, just throughout my whole life, my mother's been there for me. I was going to go move in with her, basically. I needed help. So, and that's exactly what I did. I went and I moved in with her. I had um, an abusive boyfriend at the time that followed me to, my mother uh, was living in Columbia, Missouri at the time. He followed me. And um, so that's, I got pregnant. Basically, my daughter saved me. She, She saved my life because after that, I pretty much lived for her. That's how it's been until now.
1: (laughs) It sounded like you were almost homeless.
0: Yeah, I was almost homeless. I would have been homeless had I um, not reached out to my mom.
1: How many people in your life going back to 16 years old till this day know that you tried to end your life twice?
0: Uh, No, no one.
1: Your mother doesn't know?
0: I didn't tell her, no.
1: About either of them?
0: She knows about the first one. Yeah. She found me. The first one she found found me. She saved me. Yeah. Um, The second one. No, nobody knows about that one.
1: Okay. The first one, even though I know we're going back a few decades, how does your mother respond to you when she finds out that her daughter tried to end her life?
0: We don't talk about it. Never. No, we don't talk about it at all.
1: It never came up. Okay. So Mm -mm. did you want her to talk to you about it?
0: probably not back then because it, it back then it was so long ago it was almost taboo i didn't talk to anyone about it like i went you know to high school there are friends that i've reconnected with from high school that didn't even realize everything i'd gone through before i'd gotten in back into catholic school you know like now it seems like it's more acceptable to talk about it and let people know that you know I've struggled with it. It's something I struggle with. and But even within my family, we don't talk about it at all.
1: All right. So even though you're really close with your mom, you don't talk about it.
0: Right. Because I feel like it's going to hurt her. So I don't want to bring that up.
1: And your daughter now, how old is she?
0: Uh, She's 22. She'll be 23 in October.
1: Does she know? Yes. So there is somebody who knows.
0: Everybody knows about the first attempt in my family. Because I went to treatment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was out there. I had to talk to my daughter about it because um, in the sixth grade, one of her best friend's father came to my front door and said that my daughter was um, talking about suicide. I had to have the talk with my daughter about it in sixth grade. And even back then, I wasn't educated and I was saying it was a selfish thing.
1: Did you think what you did when you were 16 was selfish?
0: I wasn't thinking it was, no. I mean, no, I don't think it was. I, th- I wasn't thinking really about anyone at the time. It was very impulsive.
1: I'm not suggesting you should change any con- part of that conversation with your daughter, but knowing now what you may not have known then from what you shared. Oh, definitely. You had a different conversation with her?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yes. I would have totally. I immediately got her into a doctor that specialized in anxiety and mental you know, problems and things like that. I immediately got her in and got her the help. I was there for her. I, you know, I would, she's very introverted like me Mm -hmm. when it comes to her feelings and things like that. I let her know that she was loved and that's what I was told. So that's what I relate to her. But now that I, everything that I know, it's completely changed the way um, I view it and the way I, I realize now that it's not something I can control. And it's not something to be selfish about. I'm not being selfish. I know it's not a selfish thing. Right now, if I could go back in time and have that conversation with her again, I would have been completely different. It would have been, you're so loved. I would basically acknowledge her feelings and make sure that I was, just listen. You know, I would listen to why she was having the feelings that she was having. I knew she needed medication though. That was the only thing right away that I knew she needed That's what's helped me basically.
1: So how did she respond when you did say those things that yes, you would do it differently, but you, we can't go back in time.
0: She basically denied, denied, you know, saying that she felt that way. And that was pretty much it. You know, she's like, I didn't say that. I, it's not, you know, I would never do that to you. I would never, now that I look back, I pretty much closed the door for her when I said that pretty much.
1: Maybe so. so. Yeah. Has she ever talked to you about it again?
0: We've talked about um, our mental state, kind of our mental state. and It's almost like we have like a kindred spirit. Like we can tell when somebody's, you know, when we're down, when I can tell when she's taking her medication and when she's not Mm -hmm. and vice versa. I think my whole family can kind of see, I don't know. I think it's something I see in people too, like mental illness or just depression or in their eyes, you can kind of tell. They've been through a lot, you know, like Anthony Bourdain, like that wasn't a surprise. People that have problems trying to, um, you know, they feel like they're running all the time or they can't settle. It just seems that's a a common thread in, I guess, suicide, at least in my experience and the people that I've known that have left that way or died that way. I mean, my first experience, I had an ex-boyfriend that died by suicide. I've had, and his son died by suicide at the same age. I've had a couple of high school friends and grade school friends, children die by suicide. You know, like I said, I had a couple of cousins and my most recent one that's pretty much put the trigger. This is the first time I've ever had suicidal ideations. I've never had them before. They've always been impulsive. I never thought or planned about anything. I think COVID's really. Um, not helped at all. I've worked really hard on my career and where I want to be. And now I just kind of feel lost. It's just, I I lost a job. um, And now I'm in another job that's not really mentally healthy. I've planned out ways that I'm going to do it. I've stockpiled pills and I've, I mean, I even see a doctor, I see my normal doctor and he prescribes me my antidepressant and which I, I stopped taking during COVID because I wanted to see if I could, because I wasn't working and I was going to go, okay, I'm going to do the healthy route and see if, you know, walking and exercising and things help. Um, and I really guess that I felt like that depressant wasn't working anymore. And he put me on um, Xanax as well. And I, I don't really feel comfortable talking to him too much. I was seeing a psychiatrist, which I had my insurance. I lost my insurance and stuff, so I couldn't see him anymore. So finally, I went to actually to my OB because I blamed it on menopause, told her that I was having ideations. And she switched my antidepressant or put me back on something else, a new one. So I started taking that. I don't know. I'm not as bad as I was. I'm starting to calm the thoughts. I take it day by day, but she's the only one that I've said anything to. And I don't know how to talk to people about it without them freaking out. You know, I was at my cousin's wake. Me and my cousin were kind of the black sheep in the family and she had it all. She married into wealth and I loved her. We weren't that close, but we're still like, like I say, like kindred spirits or whatever growing up. Um, we were, were closer when we were growing up. We kind of partied a little bit in our early 20s when I was in my early 20s. When she did it, she has three beautiful children. They, they live in a flu. I mean, money, everything.
1: You, had, you were saying you never planned it out. And only until recently did you start ideating. Right. When did that start? Was that COVID?
0: That was after my cousin's suicide. It was in November of 2019.
1: All right. So, and that is actually shortly before COVID, right?
0: Right. 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 Right Right before COVID exasperated, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so you were playing with your medications Mm -hmm. and you said you found a medication combination that has been a little better for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just recently. Yeah. That was just um, until I found that I would be in my meetings at work saying I writing notes saying I want to die. You know, I mean, it was just not. I hate the job I'm doing now. Um, What's the
1: job you're doing now?
0: Well, I'm a chef. I lost a job as a chef at a golf course during COVID because I were doing weddings and things, so obviously. And then I kind of got screwed over with that as far as going back with them. I decided to go try a whole new route in the health field cooking, and it's a bigger corporate-type setting. Um, it wouldn't be as bad except for upper management is kind of running it. So I'm, I'm started listening to a lot of audiobooks on, you know, daring greatly being a good leader or things like that by Brene Brown, just trying to get back into um, a better headspace mm-hmm. with leading a team and coming in in a positive attitude and not wanting to jump off the building pretty much. I mean, it, I'm just not happy there. I'm not happy. But the only reason why I took it is because I have a plan. I do want to, I do want to move to either like Florida or North Carolina. My, my mom lives with me. And if she didn't live with me, I probably wouldn't be here. And I okay. think she knows that too. My goal is to get on my own two feet and let her basically live her. Well, I mean, she lives her life. You know, she doesn't have a, a problem. You know, we've lived together fine. But she, I know she wants to see me happy. I haven't been in a relationship in over five years. The last one ended abruptly and pretty terrible. That's kind of where I am okay. right now. I mean, I'm hoping that this medication does help out a lot more. I want other people to know that. Um, I mean, I I'm kind of a coward to say, you know, talk to people and stuff because I don't know how to talk to them. There's no real open way to communicate to people and be like, oh, hey. I mean, I have specific thoughts in my head on how I want to do it. And the only thing that's kind of held me back is on who's going to find me. You know, like, I don't want my mother to find me. I don't want my daughter to find me. And then when my cousin, you know, like I said, she had everything, you know, she had everything that you could ever dream of. And I'm like, God damn, if she couldn't make it, what the hell? You know, I mean, we basically both had both the same mental kind of issues, I think. I consider myself an addict. I get compulsive on you know, I can either work. If I start drinking, I'll go on drinking binges. There's just so many stories out there. And everyone thinks that, you know, I don't know. I there's no one that you really can talk to. I feel like I can talk to. I don't know because you don't know what the reaction's gonna be. Sure. So you just kinda hold it in and it's hard. I don't really know how to tell people to reach out and talk to people. I mean, I can't even talk to my own mother about it. So
1: other than your medication, does anything help you feel better?
0: Well, the dog. I got the dog after my my cousin passed away. I got those yard signs that everyone puts in their yards, like "Don't give up," you know, uh, "Your mistakes don't define you," things like that. So every month on her anniversary, I put up a new yard sign. And then I had my old dog passed away during the pandemic, and the day I had to put her down, I went and I grabbed all the signs and I threw them away. <laughs> I was like, "This is it," you know what? what else can, you know, what else can happen? I I tried, I know that positive thinking is really something that I need to start really honing in on. And I try to do, you know, I, I just wanted things just need to roll off your back more and you can't take things as personally. And that would really help out a lot. And so I, I try to do that a lot more, which that's helped. And then I got a pandemic puppy, which is the dog that's been running around like crazy. I don't know why I always get the high, strong, crazy breeds, but she's a high, strong, crazy breed. She keeps me busy. So she keeps my mind off of it. My daughter, she's doing great. I have a couple friends that know me well enough that don't even see me every day, that don't even see me you know, every month, that'll just call me out of the blue. And they'll be like, I was thinking of you. And it'll be like a time where I'm just really struggling and they'll know to call or something. It's just really weird. They really lift me up. But I still haven't said anything to them about IDing or anything. It's just the terms, I'm tired. You know, I just, it's I'm so sick of fighting, fighting in this world and trying to, everything's such a struggle. And those are basically words I think that people use. Those are signs, you know, like if I hear that from other people, then I try to open up to them or I let them open up to me. That's how I want to help out more than I don't really tell anything about myself though. That's kind of how you just get tired of fighting it.
1: Do you, uh, do you think you'll try again?
0: I don't think I'm, uh, I don't know. Maybe. I've always imagined that I'm not going to make it to be an elderly person for some reason, whether it be by myself, by my own hands or something else. I've always had that feeling that I'm not going to make it um, to my elder years. I guess hopefully I find something. I mean, I would love to be able to get into the field where I could help people. Granted, I'm a hypocrite if I'm not going to, you know, do what I, you know, walk the walk. And but it does help. It does help listening to other people, being able to open up and hear their stories. It's comforting and it's knowing that there's others out there. I just wish. And in this whole woke, you know, movement, people afraid of what to say and how to say things and where I work is I've got people of all different generations and they don't realize that they'll say something because they'll, you know, the whole word trigger. I've never experienced it like I did at my cousin's after reception, you know, when she killed herself, it felt like everyone was looking at me because it was like, is it triggering her? And they kept a glass of Jameson in my hand the whole time. It was like, cause it just like, that's how we deal with it. You know, we're Irish Catholics. And then they would look at me and be like, cause it was such a shock. Nobody could believe that, that she had done it because she had everything. It wasn't a shock to me. You know, for some reason, it just wasn't a shock. I, you know, I, I, there are things that you struggle with in your mind that It's an imbalance or it's a compulsion that you do one thing for another. Like, I'll either be a workaholic and work crazy hours and, or, you know, just get obsessed with cleaning or, you know, just it's all kinds of things. It's, I don't know. There's, so that might be the manic in me, which is, I guess, now bipolar. I don't know. I've looked into other research. They've had like the ketamine research, but like, I have to have that time off of work, like once, you know, like once a week for a few hours to be able to do it. And yet I work at a hospital and you would think they would understand when I was filling out all my new paperwork, now anxiety disorder, bipolar, all these things are considered disabilities. You're afraid to even put that on it. You know, you're like, wait, I don't want to be labeled as having a, having a disability. You know, it's, it's just really confusing because like if I, I didn't put that down, when I was hired, so I thought, well, they're going to put that against me. You know, they're going to say she has a disability. So, so if I go to them now and I'm like, well, I want to try this study for depression, and and they'll be like, well, what the hell? You didn't, we didn't know you had any of that, or we didn't know. I'm kind of like, I don't know how to handle that either. So there's just different. I just, I wish I didn't have to take pills. I would rather find something that's easier. I guess mm-hmm. it wasn't so difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: know I need therapy. I know I need, there's a ton of things I need to talk about, but like I said, it's it's just, it's hard. It's not easy.
1: Hmm. So what else do you want to share?
0: My only advice is like to find somebody that you can connect with. You know, I, I'm lazy for not really helping myself mentally. You know, I do have those cards that say, don't give up and you're worthy of love and all those things. And I leave them around every once in a while somewhere. So if somebody finds one, um, maybe it's helping them. So I just, I try little ways to hopefully, help others in dealing with whatever they're struggling with. I mean, I know my mom's struggling with things as well. And it's hard. I we just don't really share things like that. Maybe need to go on a retreat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate your time. Well,
0: thank you. No, thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening
1: yeah of course yeah. it was
0: very nice talking to you though and I really enjoyed listening to your podcast alright really well do. keep
1: listening and um,
0: I will alright thank you
1: Sean alright Michelle have a good weekend all thank you me. too alright bye right, bye as always thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to Michelle out in Missouri thank you Michelle If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And please help us out if you listen on Apple Podcasts, rate and review this podcast. It really helps people find us. That's all for episode number 75. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.